It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch. After a three-day triumphant stint in New York City, Bill, welcome back. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. Uh, So the Red Sox took care of business in New York, um, winning the ALDS against the Yankees and are heading to the ALCS against the Houston Astros beginning Saturday night. Uh, What a crazy series. Um, If you're a Red Sox fan, it was a great series. Uh, Let's start with uh, game four. in which Craig Kimbrell gave us all some heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, until Kimbrell came in, a great pitching night for not only the Red Sox starter, Rick Porcello, but the bullpen, which included uh, Chris Sale. Yeah, the Red Sox did everything right in New York for the first 17 innings uh, over two games. And you know, then in the ninth, they had a little trouble. Uh, I, I guess you could say all of the trouble that they could have hoped to encounter over two nights all sort of got boiled down and condensed into one inning. That's right, concentrated. Um, you know, and, and Craig Kimbrell had his struggles, to be sure. Uh, and there was certainly a point there where, as a beat writer on deadline, I was cursing him because he was blowing up my story. Um, <laughs> just to, to peel back the curtain for folks out there who, who aren't in the media, uh, generally you want to hit send uh, on these things right after the last pitch. Uh, and so you're writing while the game's going on. Uh, by the top of the ninth inning, after Chris Sale got done with the bottom of the eighth, my story is essentially good to go. It's about 90% done. Um, so when Craig Kimbrell comes in and he walks Aaron Judge on four pitches, you think, hmm, interesting, <laughs> but let's see what happens. Then Didi Gregorius sings, singles through the right side, and you're like, okay, now they're one swing away from tying it. This is the Yankees. They hit more home runs this season than any team in Major League history, and this is Yankee Stadium. Anything can happen at this point. Uh, So you start using the space button, the delete button, uh, writing a few contingency paragraphs. Uh, Very stressful time up there in the press box and and on the field, and and I'm sure for all the fans as well. Um, You know, But quite a thrilling end and, and the result that everyone was looking for. Absolutely, and I think if you are a Red Sox fan of almost any age, you were convincing yourself that there was going to be a Game 5 because uh, it just looked like it was heading down that path. But um, lo and behold, uh, Chris Sale, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, Craig Kimbrell gets, uh, gets a ground, ground ball to Nunez, who makes a great play and even a more fantastic play at first by Steve Pierce to hang on to the bag, ends the game. Um, and the Red Sox are jumping all over the field. The second time, by the way, that the Red Sox are celebrating something special in Yankee Stadium this year. Yeah, particularly sweet uh, in this case. Obviously, Boston clinched the American League East there. Third straight American League East title, and the celebration was a little bit muted. Uh, yes, they popped some champagne and you know had a few drinks that night, but the players, to a man, all said, we understand that 
this is an accomplishment, but this is not what we came into this season hoping to do. Um, this is the first postseason series win for them in five years. The the last one was the World Series in 2013 over the Cardinals. Um, you know, so this is the next step. Uh, you know, after being eliminated in the division series two straight seasons, this represents progress for the 2018 Red Sox, and it's certainly an encouraging sign. And as you wrote in today's Providence Journal, it's somewhat of a, of a validation here for the changes that the Red Sox made uh, in the offseason, which essentially boiled down to two major ones. The first, of course, is J.D. Martinez, who uh, you can't say enough about this year. has been, been great in the lineup, anchored that lineup, um, you know, uh, home runs, RBIs, mentored young guys. And then... Um, the other one, which is probably just as important, if not more, is Alex Cora, who has really had, and Kevin McNamara wrote a column today saying this, has sort of had the Midas touch in this postseason, and to some degree all season long, but really in this postseason because, I mean, you know, the game before, Brock Holtz does something nobody has ever done in the playoffs, and that's hit a cycle, and then the next game, he's on the bench. Yeah, it, it speaks to the size of the market. Uh, it, I'm not picking on Minnesota here, but I'll use them as an example. If Minnesota were to win the AL Central two years in a row, odds are they wouldn't be firing the manager right. if they hadn't gotten out of the division series two years in a row. But the expectations in Boston are, are different. Uh, you know, As I wrote for today's journal, the Red Sox spent $395 million combined on opening day payroll to win one playoff game in 2016 and 2017 that's unacceptable for them uh and in that way uh as a fan and and as a media member i'm happy that they have high standards i i think the goal of professional sports is to win championships and there should be an all-out pursuit to win those championships and and if you're boston you have more resources than say minnesota or tampa or anybody else so you can act with a little bit more urgency Um, You fire the manager, that's fine. You better get the hire right. And it looks like they have, obviously, with Alex Cora. Um, You mentioned signing J.D. Martinez. He was the top free agent hitter on the market. This team finished last in the American League last year in home runs. He comes out right away in game one. His first playoff swing with the Red Sox is a three-run homer off J.A. Happ, um, which put Boston on track to win that game. Uh, And you can't underestimate what he's done for the rest of the lineup. So for them to make those two major changes – and then to make some tweaks along the way, adding Nathan Evaldi, adding Steve Pierce, adding Ian Kinsler, uh, it was a really good week and a, a really good night for John Henry and Dave Dombrowski. And it was a really good night for Alex Cora as well because I, I think, and we saw this right off the bat in this series. You know, he knows that his bullpen is shaky. He knows it. Uh, so he was doing some unconventional things. Uh, you know, you and I were both uh, at the at game one. And we saw Rick Porcello come in mm. uh, from the bullpen, which was kind of a surprise. And then in game uh, four, we saw Chris Sale come in. Uh, both moves were effective. Both moves did not uh, preclude either pitcher from from making the next start. Fortunately, Chris Sale did not have to make the game five start, but he would have been able to because I think he pitched, I don't know, 12 pitches or yeah, something 13 like that. Pitches, right? yep. uh, so he certainly didn't, uh, didn't waste an outing there. Uh, so let's let's dig in a little bit on on the pitching here. Um, so Rick Porcello was the starting pitcher in Game Four. Yes, five innings, scattered four hits, uh, one earned run, uh, one strikeout, uh, and then the parade of uh, bullpen arms comes in. But you know, 
Porcello is one of those guys, when he gets locked in, he's as good as anybody on that team. Yeah, the first time through the order, he's really good. Um, you know, retired nine of the first ten he faced on 28 pitches, and, and he was cruising. Right. Um, you know, he got into a little bit of trouble. <clears throat> in the fourth, Didi Gregorius hits a one-out double, and at that point, the Red Sox are up 4 nothing, and Yankee Stadium is quiet. They're just hoping to cling on to any semblance of, of a rally at sure. that point. So when Gregorius doubles, you get a little bit of atmosphere there in the park. The Red Sox end up stranding him at third base. In the fifth, when the Yankees put a couple more men on, now Porcello is kind of up against the wall. Mm-hmm. He has a nine-pitch at bat with Aaron Hicks. He manages to get out of it on a pop-up to short right field that Ian Kinsler caught. And you look at the total pitch count, it's 65 pitches, but the stress of the fourth and of the fifth inning combined with going through the order a third time prompted Alex Cora to go to the bullpen early. Uh, He went to Matt Barnes in the sixth in a high leverage spot with Aaron Judge due. Uh, Barnes goes one, two, three. He goes to Ryan Brazier toward the bottom of the order for a little lower leverage spot. Mm -hmm. Brazier goes one, two, three. So now you're looking at it and you're thinking to yourself, okay, he's got Kimberl in the ninth. He's not going to go for a two-inning save at this point because if Kimbrell runs into trouble, what does he do in the ninth inning? He can't have him out there for 35 or 40 pitches. Prior to the game, the question was asked of Cora, would you consider using Chris Sale uh, in relief if if you had a chance to win the series tonight? And Cora said, you know, Chris has been lobbying for this for a couple days. It it would be his day to sort of throw and and tweak some things Mm -hmm. uh, on the side between starts. Um, but it's only a situation where I would use him if it was perfect, if we were up multiple runs, if we liked the matchups. Uh, and he cited Justin Verlander last year in Game 4 of the ALDS for Houston. They brought Verlander into a one-run game, and Ben Intendi hit a two-run homer off him in the fifth inning. Right. Cora was afraid of having Sale sort of stranded out there in a tight game and then maybe burning him for Game 5. But as it turned out, the Yankees had 8-9-1 in the order, you had Brett Gardner hitting ninth. It stood to reason that Sale would probably face Andrew McCutcheon as a pinch hitter. He liked his odds against Glaber Torres, who really didn't do much in this series. And he wanted to turn Aaron Hicks around and have him bat right-handed with the big left field at Yankee Stadium instead of having him be able to pull the ball to the short porch and right. So he called for Chris Sale, and, and the reaction among the players, you find out afterwards, was mixed between some guys who knew, some guys who didn't, um, they were unanimous in the fact, though, that when you see him come out of that bullpen, you're energized. You're thinking, we're going for it. Right. We're trying to finish this yeah. right now. Right. So let's get it done. Yeah. Uh, and I think another point here uh, that occurred to me when, when I saw Sale uh, trotting uh, onto the mound was that this this couldn't happen if Chris Sale wasn't healthy. Yes. And rested. Yes. You know, because if you were still treating Chris Sale with with you know kid gloves and you're like, oh man, I'm not sure if he, you, know, you wouldn't, you'd stay far away from this. That's right. But the fact that he hadn't pitched all that much the last couple of months and they certainly went through great pains to make sure he was ready for the for the playoffs put them in a position where, like you said, if the situation arose where there where it was perfect and it pretty much was, mm-hmm. and you figured, well, we can throw him out there for maybe 15 pitches or so, maybe 20 pitches tops. Uh, and uh, you know, hey, it 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 worked out. It worked out great. Um, on the other side, you know, you had CC Zabathia, who has, uh, you know, at times given the Red Sox fits. I mean, obviously he's mm-hmm. not as, not in his prime in, anymore, but has been a great pitcher. But uh, you know, the Red Sox uh, only saw him for three innings. They got three runs off of him. 
um, Zach Not So Great Britain, as they like to call him in New York, uh-huh. <laughs> came came in. They uh, got another run off them, but the look, point- look more like Tim Britton <laughs> in that outing, if you will. <laughs> Our former Red Sox writer, who's now covering the Mets. But, Sorry, Tim. Yeah, but um, yeah, the, but the Red Sox offense. Uh, the point here is that. Uh, the mixing and matching that Alex Cora has done has paid dividends on the on the offensive side as well. Yeah, uh, Sabathia didn't really have much mm-hmm. in that game. Um, you know, I was surprised honestly that he wasn't pulled earlier than he was. And, and Aaron Boone is being ripped in New York, honestly, for the way he managed, in particular, games three and game four. Right. Um, you know, really had a, a tough series. Um, you know, but in terms of the Red Sox offense, uh, you guys spoke to it in the clubhouse after game four. Alex Cora wouldn't be able to make these moves if, if they didn't have complete trust in him. Mm. Um, a lesser team, a more selfish team, a, a team that wasn't winning. You'd have guys looking and saying, well, why am I not in the lineup? You know, Brock Holt is a perfect example. He hits for the cycle in game three. He's out of the lineup in game four. Uh, and pregame, if you're one of the traveling outlets, the so-called traveling outlets uh, in the media, if you cover the Red Sox for all 162 and you're on the road, mm-hmm. you get a private pregame meeting with Alex Cora in his office before he comes out and does his press conference. And the first question, obviously, is a Brock, Brock Holt, and he smiles and he said, I know that people outside here are going to think that I'm nuts for right. sitting a guy after he hit for the cycle. Mm-hmm. He said, but I also know what Sabathia's numbers are against left-handed hitters. Uh, their OPS about 100 points lower mm-hmm. this year. And we had a game plan going into the series. We were going to play certain guys against certain guys. Uh, We were going to have certain hitters against certain pitchers. Um, And it's something that we've done pretty much all season. And and he feels like that consistency, that sort of expectation of, I'm going to play here, I can mentally prepare for this, or I can physically prepare for this, has lent itself to good performance throughout six months and you know, just because it's a short series yes he's going to change some things like using a starter in a relief role uh, or maybe using a pinch runner at some point in the next series where he needs a stolen base right now mm. um, but otherwise he's sort of been able to maintain that consistent even-handed approach and I think it's served him very very well it certainly has I mean uh, you can't really take any issue with the uh, the Red Sox offense at all in this series uh, which brings up our next point, speaking of Red Sox offense, if you go back to game three, what the heck was that? Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, we don't see 16 runs much in the uh, in the postseason, uh, and, uh, and which, you know, which obviously jumps out at everybody, but the other sort of wow moment was Nathan Eovaldi, the, uh, the Red Sox starter, seven innings, five uh, Ks, um, really just silenced, obviously just silenced New York's bats in New York. Um, you know, if you're watching that game on TV, which obviously I was, you know, it was just a sea of empty seats by probably the, I don't know, the fifth, sixth inning, something like that. Yeah, they, they started to empty out after the fourth. Yeah. Uh, seven running by the Red Sox. They make it 10 to nothing. And it was shocking. Uh, it, it really was. Um, that was an instance where I thought Boone really made a mistake. Um, you know, not only you could argue whether or not he should have sent Luis Severino back out for the right. fourth. Uh, it was a 3 nothing game at that point. Uh, I certainly think he left him in too long. You don't let two guys single and another guy walk and load the bases. Um, and then the second mistake uh, he made, and I think it was probably the biggest mistake of the series in, in hindsight, was he brought in Lance Lynn in that spot. And Yeah, which was odd. I, I just don't like 
bringing starters into reliever roles uh, yeah. in the postseason. I would have much rather have seen Chad Green there. That's what he did in game one. Right. When he pulled right. Jay Happ in the third inning, he went to a traditional reliever. Right. Uh, why not go to Chad Green? Why not go to David Robertson at that point? Mm-hmm. Instead, he brought in a starter, and, and you could see that Lynn was uncomfortable right. from, from right. the beginning of his outing. Uh, he slipped. On the mound in his third pitch. Yeah, fell down. Um, you know, walk Mookie Betts on, on four pitches and then gives up the big three-run double to Andrew Benintendi. And that was pretty much it. Um, and the Yankees, you know, even if it was a three-to-one game, they were not coming back yeah. on Nathan Navaldi. He was dominant. Uh, 97 pitches, 72 for strikes, 17 swings and misses. He threw seven pitches 100 miles an hour or more uh, there were 329 pitches thrown in the game. He threw the 25 hardest. Yeah, the, And this isn't a bullpen guy. This isn't a guy who's trying to max out over 30, 35 pitches. This is a guy who did this for 100 pitches. It was phenomenal. And to see him do this against that lineup w- was stunning. Yeah, watching it on TV, I thought there was something wrong with the gun. I kept seeing 100 pop up, yeah. you know, um, because it, it didn't just happen once or twice. Like you said, it was six or seven times. Um but you know, speaking of Aaron Boone, maybe he's taken a page out of Alex Cora's uh, playbook by bringing in a, a starter to, uh, to to relieve. Well, but the difference there is you bring in a starter in a clean inning, right? Which is what Cora did. He yeah. brought Porcello in to start the eighth in game one, right. and he brought Sale in to start the eighth in game four. He didn't bring them into the middle of a jam, and and he would not. Right, right. Uh, and I don't think Lance Lynn was slated to actually start one of the postseason games. No, unlike unlike both Porcello and Sale, who were truly in the start. Rotation. Right. I just mean from the standpoint that, you know, Cora has brought Eduardo Rodriguez in with men on base yeah. at times. But I tend to doubt that he would do it in a huge spot like that. I, I think he would go to someone who's a little shorter just to try and get a couple outs. Like he would go to Brandon Workman, yep. let's say. Mm-hmm. And then he would have had Rodriguez start the fifth. Um, to try and give him some length, like maybe give him the fifth and the sixth, and then he can mix and match later on. Sure. Uh, so it, it was a, a very surprising decision. And, you know, what Boston did from there was just, uh, I mean, they just pounded the Yankees the way that they've done to so many other opposing pitching staffs this year. Uh, the one thing that Cora has emphasized from the start is just don't give it bats away. Yep. Uh, you know, constantly grind, constantly fight up there. And you saw it from that lineup. You don't score 16 runs in a game, um, you know, by giving it bats away. The fact that they continued to score after they got up 10 nothing was a tribute to how locked in they were. Absolutely. I mean, if you... <clears throat> if you um we're looking at this series, and somebody were to tell you, okay, there's one game in this series in which the Red Sox were going to score 16 runs. That would not have been the game that you would have chosen. No. Right? Uh, I mean, they're in Yankee Stadium. That was the Severino start. Yes. Uh, so you figured, well, you know, maybe they do it against Sabathia, or maybe they do it against Hap, because they've, they've had success against Hap. But, you know, that, that's going to be a close game at Yankee Stadium. And, boy, it was anything but. Well, and just the spot being what it was. I mean, it was 1-1. Uh, the Yankees had just evened the series. The yeah. Red Sox had five hits the previous game. Right. Um, Alex Cora made these lineup changes. You're thinking, this better work. Sure. Because if it doesn't, you know, this could go in an entirely different direction. But right. I think that just speaks to how confident Cora is and how confident the players are in him. Uh, they just <clears throat> turned the page from that game two loss like nothing ever happened. Yeah took the next day off didn't even come to the park there were optional workouts there um showed up for game three and 
played one of their best, most complete games of the season. It was surprising to me because I really got the sense, and I would think other uh, Red Sox fans probably did as well, that you know the momentum had really shifted after Game Two. You know, I mean, in some ways, you know, they, I mean, obviously they won Game One, but it was a close game there, and, and you had some moments where you thought, okay, the Yankees are gonna, you know, sort of get back and they never did and then game two really was just you know the Yankees won that one fairly easily mm. and you're thinking okay well now the momentum has shifted they're going back home I'm thinking we're, we're going to definitely get to five games and uh boy it was it was like that was over like that you, you know, know it's funny though I'm, I'm reminded being around athletes as much as I am whether they be professional college high school um the higher the level you go though the more this exists they don't think like fans do. Right. They they just don't. Yeah. They're wired differently. Um, baseball especially. You lose a game one day, doesn't matter if it's twenty five to two. Yep. They all firmly believe that they're gonna win the next day. Mm-hmm. They firmly believe that if you're a pitcher, you're gonna have a better start next time. If you're a hitter and you went zero for four, you're gonna get four hits the next day. Right. They're just wired differently and that's why they're at the apex of their profession. Um, and so the Red Sox to a man after game two and you know after game three all said yeah we thought we could come back and and win game three and Mm -hmm. you know retake control of the series there was genuine belief there um and and that's the only way that something like that happens but they're they're just different they're they're just a little different than we are uh they they don't get caught up in the the swings the highs and the lows they're they're much more as david price said after game four you know cora does a good job of keeping us even keeled um, and we have some guys in this clubhouse who have been through a lot of things in terms of playoff games, in terms of a lot of regular seasons, you know, multi-year veterans, guys who can sort of keep it on the level and, and keep that long-term approach. And, mm-hmm. you know, that really uh, lends itself well when the pressure gets turned up. Absolutely. Uh, although I do, I do think they thought like fans a little bit when they played New York, New York in the uh, clubhouse afterwards. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit of a sort of a slap back at it, the Aaron Judge, it, right? It, it never hurts to have a little motivation. Uh, they also right. played the takeover by Jay-Z for any uh, hip-hop fans out there. Uh, so that was uh, Jay-Z, obviously, a New York native and, right. and big Yankee fan. So sure. they got him in on the act as well. Uh, so... Um, Okay, we spent 20 minutes uh, beating up on the Yankees, which you know you, you can spend a lifetime doing that, right? So, but anyway, let's let's uh, Bill, Bill Corey, folks, lived lived through 1978. <laughs> yeah, I did. So yeah. we could do like an and hour and 86. Yeah, so and, we well, well no, Yankees, so we could but. do an hour podcast beating up on the Yankees, and he'd be fine with that. No, it was it was a it was a, a great series if you're a Red Sox fan for sure. Um, you know, I, I thought again it would go five games and. Uh, uh, obviously, it didn't, and so this. So now the Red Sox have this long break, as do the Houston Astros, uh, to the two best teams. Clearly, I think in the American League, um, we're going to be meeting beginning on Saturday night. Game time is eight oh nine. Game two is Sunday at seven oh nine. Both in Fenway Park. Uh, my first question about this is: David Price is pitching Game Two, so says Alex Cora. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to what I've been reading, he'd be matched up against Garrett Cole. Um, David Price was horrible in Game 2 for the Red Sox mm-hmm. when they faced the Yankees at home. I mean, he didn't even get through two innings. No, he didn't. Um, so what's up with that, Bill? Uh you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. <laughs> you're going to say it's a good move. <laughs> no, I'm going to say that game two, if you're 
if you're going to start David Price, if you're committed to starting him right. in this series, game two is actually the perfect game to start him in um, for several reasons. First, it's not game one. It doesn't carry with it game one pressure. Yep. It doesn't set the tone for the entire series. Mm-hmm. The second is it's at home. Right. And you feel more comfortable with him pitching at home than you would in Houston. Houston's actually a more favorable home run park than Yankee Stadium. Um, so you, you wouldn't necessarily want him out there in a game three or a game four right. in Houston susceptible to long ball. The other thing that happens after game two is you get an off day. So you can extend your bullpen in game two if you need to Mm -hmm. Um, even if he's pitching well you can say after five innings that's it let's stop this before the roof falls in right and you can extend your bullpen you can move some guys up you could have Porcello pitch in relief again Uh, you could have Matt Barnes throw two innings or Ryan Brazier throw two innings or Joe Kelly throw two innings Mm -hmm. Um, you know so all of those things work in your favor I know a lot of folks wanted Price to start in game four um because in theory he would only make one start in the series well game four could be an elimination game that's true on the road Mm -hmm. game four could also be a game where you're down two games to one on the road do you really want him making a start under those circumstances if you have so little confidence in him right right i would say probably not also game four comes in the middle of a stretch where you play three games in a row so if you do need to extend your bullpen in game four especially if you're down two games to one what happens in game five you're, you're going to have some tired arms out there. Do you have a chance against this Houston lineup? So I think him starting game two not only puts him in a a reasonable position to succeed, but it also sort of insulates the rest of your pitching staff if you need to take some drastic measures. Uh, it also allows you to, if he struggles, you have a few days to make a contingency plan for game six, which would be his next start. Mm -hmm. You could make that a Super Bullpen day. You could stay away from Eduardo Rodriguez and maybe build him up to the point where he could make a start in game six. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have a lot of options by starting him in game two, maybe more options than you would have if you started him at any other point in the series. Well, I, I certainly agree that he's he's uh, he'll be working with a net. Let's say yes. Uh, that there is, you know, it's not uh, it's not a must win game. Uh, although I, I suppose if they lose game one, that game two takes on more significance. Well, that puts a lot of pressure on Chris Sale, but you're comfortable with that if you're the Red Sox. You want that pressure on Chris Sale. Right. That's what he's here for. Right. Uh, and you know, far be it from us to question Alex Cora so far, right? Um, but I just thought that after that game two performance against the Yankees, that that Price would be relegated to the bullpen. And hey, I mean, he's pitched great out of the bullpen in the past, so it wouldn't be like he would be of no use to the team. But you know, we'll see. I mean, you, you mean you make a good point. It happens early enough in the series where you can adjust. He's at home. If he's horrible, maybe you back him up with. Uh, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez or Rick Porcello or someone who can give you a couple or three solid innings. Um, so let's let's look at the uh, the Houston series as a whole here. Game mm-hmm. one, we're going to have a, a heck of a matchup. Justin Verlander, Chris Sale on uh, on Saturday night at Fenway Park. Um, you know, two true aces. Verlander's got a two point five two ERA this year. Strikes out a tons of guys almost 300 strikeouts uh and chris sale you know we we all know what chris sale's been about 
Um, I'm really looking forward to that series, and I'm really looking forward to that game. Yeah, uh, you said earlier the two best teams in the American League. I'll, I'll raise the stakes and say they're the two best teams in baseball. Yeah, um, you know, Houston was number one in total WAR, wins above replacement. The Red Sox were number two. Houston was number one in run differential. The Red Sox were number two. Um, so if you take those two things, value and your actual scoring, right? Those are the two best teams. Uh, you know, you look at Houston, they're just loaded up and down, whether it be in their rotation, in the lineup. Um, they've made moves to strengthen their bullpen, adding Roberto Osuna somewhat controversially Absolutely. as a closer. Yeah. They also picked up Ryan Presley from the Twins, who has been very good. Um, you mentioned Sir, uh, Verlander against Sale. Justin Verlander is a guy who Alex Cora has mentioned a couple times in comparison to David Price, he's probably trying to throw Price a lifeline and say, look, you've had 10 playoff starts. You haven't won any of them. Verlander wasn't very good early in his playoff career. And and I sort of broke that down last night. I was looking through some numbers. His first eight playoff starts, Verlander, he had a 5.57 ERA. His team was 4-4 and in those. Uh, 42 innings pitched, 20 walks, 48 strikeouts. Nowhere near his postseason numbers. His last 15 appearances, which included four, 14 starts, he has a 201 ERA. He's been outstanding. Wow. He flipped the script yeah. the year that the Tigers made the World Series uh, and lost to the Giants. He really started to make a move a- at that point. Uh, he's only had one start out of his last 14 where he's allowed at least three earned runs. And that was the infamous Pablo Sandoval game uh, where he hit three home runs in game one of the World Series and ultimately convinced the Red Sox to spend heavily on him. And they're still spending heavily on and him. And I right? use heavily intentionally. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, But Verlander has been this generation's, this era's sort of Kurt Schilling, mm. Andy Pettit, John Smoltz. He, he's developed into that after a very rocky beginning. Um, Garrett Cole who's the Game 2 starter, Garrett Cole struck out 12 and walked none against Cleveland. The only other guy to ever do that in a playoff game was Tom Seaver. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. (laughs) Um, So you consider all the playoff starts in Major League history. Two outings like that. One by Garrett Cole, who's the guy you're facing in Game 2. So Houston, really, you you can't really find any holes with them. Uh, Boston is going to need to play a, a really good series from the start. Um, you know they're going to need to get good starting pitching. They're going to need all their guys in the lineup firing, and even that might not be enough uh, because if Houston plays well, there's only so much you can do. Um, you know, it, game one is pivotal, as you said. Uh, Chris Sale needs to win game one. If Price can even be serviceable in game two, get you five innings, maybe you turn it over to the bullpen and, and you can try and win something like three to two. Um, but the Red Sox definitely need to, some circumstances to come together. Uh, could need a little luck, which they didn't really have to rely on against the Yankees, right. but you know could use a couple breaks here and there. And you know, I, I just think I see this being an extended, you know, maybe six, seven game series where not much is going to separate the two teams. Uh, I think what you're looking for from Price uh, is just just to keep it as a ball game. Yes. you know, even if they're down by a couple of runs, three runs, it's not out of reach. Uh, if he has the kind of uh, implosion that he that he was on his way to having against New York, then then you know then you probably don't have a, a fighter's chance there. But um, the thing about Houston that scares me, I think, if you're a Red Sox fan, is that they they check all the boxes. You know, they they pretty much do everything that the Red Sox do. Plus, they have a better a better bullpen, um, and you know they have they have power up and down the lineup. They they can run. They are aggressive. 
They're good defenders. They're everything the Red Sox are, and then they pr- maybe a little bit more. Now that doesn't mean the Red Sox don't have a chance because obviously you know you don't win 108 games and take care of the Yankees uh, in four games if you're not a good team. But uh, I I honestly think, and we've talked about this a lot during the year that that this is a very balanced matchup. These are the two best teams, as you said, probably in baseball. Um, facing off for the uh, ALCS and it's going to be fun to watch yeah the the other thing if you're Boston uh, over the first two games you need to cool off some of these guys from Houston because two or three of them had excellent series over three games against Cleveland Marwin Gonzalez George Springer and Alex Bredman are, are all as hot as a July Beasts. day yeah. in Houston yeah. uh, you know Gonzalez had seven hits in the series Springer had six including three home runs uh, and Bregman had five hits, including two home runs. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, Bregman is probably the guy who scares me the most uh, because of the swagger he's got. You know, just no fear, cocky, confident, call it whatever you want. Right. But he has it, that mm. it factor that plays on this October stage. Um, you know, you toss him into the middle with Springer and with Altuve and with Gonzalez, uh, with Josh Reddick, who had a good series against Cleveland. Um, you know, it's a very potent mix there that the Astros are able to roll out, particularly at the top of the order. Um, and it's a it's a very relentless team. And, and you hope that Alex Cora, as their bench coach last year, right. might have a little insight from behind enemy lines and, and might be able to give a couple secrets to the Red Sox in terms of how to attack both their hitters and their pitchers. That's true. You know, that, that might be the secret weapon. And uh uh, we'll see how that plays out going forward. Well, uh, Bill, I know you have to uh, get up to Fenway Park for the off-day activities, so we are going to wrap up this edition of the Twin Bills podcast, uh, and we're going to have to figure out how to sneak one in next week here because uh, Red Sox uh, and Astros play in Fenway Saturday and Sunday, and then uh, the, the series shifts to Houston. It's a 2-3-2 format, right? Correct. So the series shifts to Houston for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday's the off day, so maybe I'll meet you at Green Airport and we can do a, <laughs> a quick a quick twin bills uh, there or, uh, or, or uh, race you back here to Providence. And then uh, games six and seven, if, if needed, would be back in, um, back in Boston on Saturday the 20th and Sunday the 21st. And who knows? These Red Sox might be World Series bound. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, uh, Los Angeles and Milwaukee in the other series. Right. Really looking forward to that one. Um, you know, Milwaukee's lineup obviously has performed very well around Christian Yelich. Um, they have a little bit of an interesting sort of approach. Pitching wise, they they might use an opener in in one of these games. Yeah, uh, the Dodgers are a little bit more traditional and, and very star heavy. Uh, Manny Machado has been a great pickup for them at, at the trade deadline. Absolutely has, yeah. Um, you know, so so they're going to be a really tough out. Uh, you could see that series going a long time as well. Sure. Um, you know, those are two very good teams. Milwaukee's run differential throughout the year is the lowest among the remaining four teams. Not that impressive, but yeah. you're looking at them and you're thinking the bullpen components there could make them a tough out against LA so keep an eye on that series as well folks absolutely and if uh, I think Fox has the World Series this year I'm not sure but I believe Fox does but anyway whoever has the World Series I can tell you who the two teams are they really want to get there and neither of them reside in Milwaukee or Houston I I can tell you who Bill Koch wants to get there too (laughs) well we'll uh, we'll save that for the next podcast Uh, Bill thanks again you got it Bill all right